0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Impact Church. So good to see you. Glad to spend some time with you. My name is is Shane and I am Eric's brother. Um, And so that's okay. Uh, But... I'm, I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited to spend some time with you. I, I have been able to come to Impact Church. This is my third time now. We came um, uh, when you launched a year ago in September. And then um, a couple months ago, my wife and I came uh, when uh, we were on vacation. So it's cool to see you. Every time I come, you're in a different spot. So that's been the case. And I think that that's the theme of your church. So uh, we came your first Sunday. Last time we came, you were upstairs. Today, you're down here. Two weeks you're going to be somewhere else. Who knows where you're going to be in four weeks? I have no idea, but um, hopefully you can find this place. <laughs> so, but we are in this series called Campfire Stories, and this has been really fun for myself and for Eric and for Brian. Last week, uh, uh, preaching, Eric preached at City on a Hill, which is which is the church that I'm the pastor of um, last week, and it's still there this week. So that's good um, because I wasn't sure if it was going to be or not. But I'm sure that that uh, that you know a little bit about your pastor. But I'm sure that you don't know everything about your pastor. So that's part of my job this morning is to help you understand who your lead pastor actually is. Uh, because not, you, don't, you may not know the truth about him and, and, and who he actually is. So I've, I've put together a couple of thoughts that I had this week as I was thinking about this. I put together a couple of thoughts as to uh, what would be important thing to share with you about who your lead pastor is actually is. Um, so here's, here's just a, a couple of, of examples of the character of, of Eric. Um, one, he snapped my collarbone a, in half when we were kids and then danced around me after he did it. True story. <laughs> True story. Snapped it. Um, side note, on the way to the hospital, my dad was yelling at me for not drinking enough milk. So you can ask him about that. He gets mad when I say that. He's so mad in the back right now. Second thing. <laughs> Second second thing, myself, my brother, and Topper, who's not here this week, but he, he attends this church. Many of you know who he is. We all attended the same elementary school. Eric was in fifth grade. I was in third grade. Topper was in first grade, okay? And uh, in I remember being in elementary school, and every time that... Topper and I would see each other. We'd be like, hey, and we'd wait to each other. We'd be so excited to see each other. And then every time that Eric would see myself or Topper, completely ignore us every single time because he thought he was too cool. He wasn't, though. (laughs) Third thing that you need to know about him. I once got hurt in school and had to fly from school in a helicopter. Many of you know this story. They called my brother down as I was laying on the ground because I hurt my neck, and they called my brother down, and they had an ambulance coming, and the principal said, hey, why don't you hold your brother's hand? He's hurting right now. So my brother walked over with pointer and thumb finger, grabbed my hand, and looked away. That's the character of your pastor. Last one. When we were kids, true story, he puked in my mouth. True story. True story actually happened. We had bunk beds. My head was hanging on the side. I think he shared this in, in, in some sermons before, too. He right into my mouth. Swallowed it. Anyways, all right. So I just thought you should know who he actually is because it's important that you understand his character and, um, and, and who he is. Um, all jokes aside, he is a good pastor. Do not tell him I said that by any means necessary, but he is a good pastor and, uh, and it's cool to see this place and, and the way that it is and, and the people that are coming. So you have a really good place and a really good church. Protect it. It's an awesome, awesome place to be. But we wanted to do this series with New Beginnings where Pastor Brian last week, he's a pastor up. We wanted to do this series, all three of us, because we understand that church is bigger than just our local context. Like Church is bigger than just this. This is great, this is wonderful, but this is not all that church is. We are called to be a part of the church universal and so we are called to be a part of a community of people, a community that is global, that goes around the world and we wanna partner with one another. Far too often, churches feel like they can be rivals with one another and not like each other because we feel like we're all fighting for the same people as if everybody in the world goes to a church. It's not true at all. There are so many people in this world and we wanna work together as communities to say we are not enemies, we are not rivals, but we are partners and we are working together to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So that's part of why we have been doing this rotating of of preachers at, at different churches. And side note, it's a break for us pastors because we only have to write one sermon for three weeks. That's a win. So that's really fun. But let me start by asking you this. How many of you like to camp? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you do not like to camp at all, Frank? Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. How many of you prefer glamping? You know what glamping is? Okay, that's like camping with like electronics and like some nice things. You want to have a little bit of both, yeah. So I understand that everybody is at different places when it comes to camping. But one thing that we should all be able to agree on is s'mores are awesome, right? Everybody loves s'mores. But the cool thing about camping, if you do like to go, then, then, then you'll understand this. If you don't like to go, then you haven't really experienced this. But... It's weird that we do, I like camping, it's weird that we do enjoy camping because you aren't doing anything. Like when we go camping, it's just really sitting around. Maybe you go for a little hike, maybe there's a lake, maybe you go fishing. But the majority of camping is just sitting around a fire and talking to one another no phones, no electronics, just getting away. And I don't know if that sounds terrible to you or not, but to me it's like, yeah, that sounds nice for, for a weekend or for a couple of days or something like that, to just go away and just unplug and sit around with people that you hopefully like and love and share stories with one another. Because campfire stories are, are, are what really bring us together. So many preachers understand the importance of stories. That's why we share them in our messages. And Jesus understood the importance of stories as well. He often would communicate a message that he was trying to preach through the form of a story or or a parable. So throughout this entire month, you've heard different parables and different stories from Jesus. And um, uh, Eric has talked about preaching on the, the parable of the talents. Last week, Brian talked about preaching on the parable of the weeds. Today... I'm preaching on a parable that is not as commonly used as those parables. Like, those are like some go-tos. And then next week, uh, we're going we're to wrap up the series, and Eric is going to preach on the, the parable of the lost sheep, uh, which is a really, really cool story, but it's a story that you know. Today, I always I feel like I always try to preach on something that I, we don't normally preach on, so I'm going to preach on the parable of the ten virgins Does anybody know this parable? Raise your hand if you know this. Very few of you, right? So you may hear this title and you're like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? I don't understand where we're going with this. And I I know that that is a very weird title for a parable, but just stick with me, okay? So I'm going to start by talking about some weddings. Weddings are a beautiful thing. And this parable is centered around a wedding. But we have to understand the the importance of the culture at the time when it comes to weddings when Jesus was sharing this parable. But one thing remained true then and now is that if there's one thing you do not want to be late to, it's a wedding. Don't be late to weddings. There was a a few years ago, uh, my wife and I, who's sitting in the front row who I love dearly, um, she she would admit this to you as well. She's a late person, Okay. And uh, I, I'm not really a late person. I, I don't enjoy being late. I don't, I don't like being late. And we were going to a wedding of a friend of ours, and, and we're leaving, and I'm like, Lauren, we need to go. We're going to be late. And we're driving, and it's all the way out in Mount Airy and Linganore. It's like the Linganore Winery or something like that. And we're driving out there, and I'm like, we're cutting it really close. And so we get to this wedding, and, and it's one of those things where you show up to the wedding, and it's not right there when you get out of your car. You've got to, like, walk through a field in the middle of the summer in a suit, and it's terrible. So we're, we're walking through this field, and I'm like, we've got to go. We've got to book it. And we're walking really fast. And were you pregnant at the time? I don't remember if you were. Yeah, you were. She was pregnant at the time with Camden. Our, our, our daughter is three. And so we're walking through this field and all of a sudden you, we see the wedding party walking down and we're like, oh, no, this is not good, right? This is not where you want to be. So side note, if you show up to a wedding and you're late and the wedding party is already walking down, you got to wait. You can't, you can't just like slip in and just go, hey, I'm just walking along with them. You got You have to wait for all of them to go through. Like it's not, it, it'll be obvious. So, of course, we're standing there, we're waiting, and Eric was actually in the wedding, and so was Topper and a few friends of, friends of ours, and they're in the wedding, and they're just walking past us, looking at us, and laughing, and they're pointing, and I'm like, shut up, and they're like walking down, and so then the bride goes, and we're just like, we're so sorry, like they, they go down, and then eventually we're like, okay, everybody's up at the front, now we can just sneak in the last row and, and grab a seat, and we saw, we saw a few seats, so we're sneaking up. And we're trying to not disturb anybody. And the wedding planner comes over and cuts us off. And she goes, hey, you can't sit. Like, you're, you're not allowed to sit. You're late. And we were like, what? We can't sit. Lauren's pregnant in the summer. But you weren't really showing too much, I don't think, at the time. So I don't think she really knew. But uh, she so was like, yeah, no, sorry, I'm not going to let you sit because I don't want you to disturb the wedding. So we had to stand in the back the whole time while Eric is pointing and laughing at me during the wedding. You don't want to be late to it. And it's the same thing as when Jesus is sharing this parable about this wedding. You do not want to be late to it because this is a celebration of joining together of two people, two families in holy matrimony. It's a special occasion. It's an important occasion. You do not want to be late to a wedding. So at this time, when Jesus is sharing this parable about the ten virgins, he's talking about how these people come to be married. So at the time for the Jewish culture, stick with me. This all is a point, okay? At the time, the way that people got married was it was arranged, The parents of of a son would go to the parents of a daughter and work out an agreement. And they would say, hey, we would like for our son to marry your daughter. And oftentimes money or currency or something was exchanged between the two families where really the daughter was sold off into marriage. And I know that that doesn't sound romantic, but that was a culture at the time. That That was the way that it went. And the son, it's not that he didn't have any say in it whatsoever. He could communicate to his parents. Hey, I'm kind of interested in this person here. Hey, she's she's pretty cute. Hey, I would like to get to know her a little bit more. But it was ultimately the parent's decision to go and talk to the other family and work out this agreement. Once an agreement was made, the the two were then considered married, but not in the sense that we consider married. They were considered married, but the husband, the groom, would then go home and prepare a, a place for his bride to come to. So really, this is kind of like the engagement period that as we would see it today. You say, okay, yeah, we're going to get married. There, there's, there's no physical contact, if you know what I mean. right? There's, no, there's none of that happening. They go home, they, and, and the, the groom is preparing his home to bring his bride home too. If you know the, in, in the gospel when Jesus was, was born, the story of the birth of Jesus, when Mary and Joseph and when Mary became pregnant, this is the stage that they were in, the engagement period. Even though they were considered married, the engagement period, where they're not really married in the way that we think about it. So you follow me? So the groom would go home and he would, he would prepare a place for, to bring his bride home to. And then once the groom was ready, which oftentimes would take about a year, he would go back, send word to the bride's family, and he would go back and receive his bride and bring her home. And then there would be a big celebration, a big party and this is what we would look at as the wedding ceremony and, and, and the celebration, the reception afterwards. And there would be a big party. Oftentimes it would last up to seven days. So it's a really, really cool thing. But when the groom would go to receive his bride, the bride had virgins, in other words, bridesmaids. So it's a, they're interchangeable here. And she would send out her bridesmaids into the street and they would have lamps. They would light their lamps to signal where the groom can come to receive his bride. It's kind of romantic. It's kind of nice. So that's the picture of what a wedding looks like here. And that's where, that's where the, 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 ten, the ten virgins come in. So with that understanding, let's look at the parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And I believe, yeah, it'll be on the screen. It says this. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps... And went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In other words, he's running late. He's he's running late to, to, to receive his bride. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy, to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So what Jesus is trying to communicate here is is he's talking about the, the second coming of himself. He's trying to communicate a very specific thing. He is the bridegroom, Jesus is, and the bride is the church, us. We are the bride collectively. And Jesus has gone to prepare a room for us because it says in John chapter 14, verses two through three, in my father's house, this is Jesus talking, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So this is the picture of the engagement period that Jesus is talking about. I'm going and preparing a place for you. Jesus has already come to this earth and has paid the price for us just as the groom's parents has done, would do for a bride. Jesus paid the price for us already. So we're in the engagement period with Jesus. We're in the waiting period with Jesus and he has gone home to heaven to prepare a place for us. And now we are waiting anxiously With excitement, we are waiting here for him. This is all about the second coming of Jesus. That's the bottom line of this story. So, what what can we learn from it? First thing that we can learn is this Are you prepared for Jesus? That's that's really a big question here. This This is what I want you to ask yourself Are you prepared? Are you ready? See, it says the foolish ones, talking about the virgins, took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. See, the virgins, the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids, they had a job. And it's an important job. This is all part of the tradition and all part of the ritual. They would welcome the bridegroom with their lamps. And they were all ready. But they weren't all prepared see, there's a difference. There's a difference between being ready and being prepared. You can be ready without being prepared. There's a huge difference here. And five of the bridesmaids were ready and prepared because they brought extra oil to make sure that their lamps would stay lit. Five of them were ready but were not prepared. They didn't have the extra oil with them. And it was a long time coming for the groom to actually make it there. And One thing that we see here that's really interesting is that good intentions aren't everything. Like, we we can tell just because you have good intentions doesn't mean that you are actually prepared. Because the common thing with all of the bridesmaids, with all the virgins, is that they had good intentions. They wanted to go and be a part of this special event, this special day for their friend. They wanted to be there and, and to take part in this. And if you've been a part of, of any weddings before, if you've been a bridesmaid or, or, or anything like that, then you know you have a job to do. And your job is to make it as special as you can for the couple getting married. That's their job. And they, they had the good intentions. They were excited. They, they were ready to go. But they weren't all prepared. And I, I would assume that most of you have good intentions in life. I think that's a fair assumption. Doesn't mean you always do in every situation, but I would assume that most of you want to do what is right and want to do what is good. You, you have good intentions, but I wonder how many of us are prepared to actually follow through with the good intentions that we have, because that's a whole nother story. There, there's a lot more involved in that. And this is what really separates people apart in this world, because talk, as you know, is cheap. You can say whatever you want. We can talk out of the side of our mouths all day long. And we may even have good intentions. But it doesn't mean anything. Your talk is cheap. My talk is cheap. I'll give you a good example. You go to the grocery store and you run into somebody that you haven't seen for a year or longer. And you bump into them, and you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And you're super friendly, and you're super nice, and you're talking to them. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's great. And you catch up for a minute, and then one of you says, hey, we should get together sometime. You've got no intentions of getting together with that person whatsoever. You're just trying to find a way out of the conversation. That's what you're trying to do. I've done it. You've done it. Don't look at me weird. Like, that's what we've all done it. You run into somebody and we say, yeah, yeah, that would be great. I would love to get together with you sometime. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I got to look at my calendar. I got I to gotta talk to the wife. I got to talk to the husband. I got to talk. I got to check in with the kids. I got soccer. I got, you know, we'll, we'll set it up. And then you leave and you're like, I'm never talking to that person again. We all know. We, we, know, the, we know the song and dance. We've done it. You've done it. It's because talk is cheap. We say what we need to say to, 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 to keep going with our lives. That's a common thing for many of us. I'm just going to say what this person wants to hear so that they stop talking to me so I can finish my grocery shopping, so I can, so I can keep going, so I can keep moving. But talk is cheap. Actually following through with it is a whole nother ballgame. And for me personally, it can be a struggle to, to complete something that doesn't have a deadline, you know, something that doesn't have a due date. If something has a, a due date, where it's like, hey, you need to pay this bill by Friday. Okay, I'll pay this bill by Friday. But if it's like, hey, this is open-ended. You need to do this whenever. For me, that gets pushed down the line. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you're the same way or not, but if it doesn't have a deadline, it's easy for me to constantly say, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it, yeah, eventually. Let me take care of the more pressing needs first. Let me take care of the immediate things first. Let me take care of things that have a due date. And then when I have time, I will get to something that doesn't have a due date, that doesn't have a deadline. This is why you have a million projects at your home, because it isn't necessarily a deadline unless you're getting ready to sell your house and you set a deadline. But if you're just living at your home and you have that project that's been sitting there forever, it's because more pressing things come forward that need to be handled immediately, and we think, I wanna do this. I wanna fix that fence in my backyard. I wanna do the lawn, whatever it is. I'll get to it when I have time. Push it down the line over and over and over and over again. And this is often what we can do with our relationship with Jesus. Because we don't necessarily feel like there's a deadline. We don't feel like there's a due date. We just know by the time I leave this earth, I need to be right with Jesus. So I'm just going to push it down the line because that day isn't today, right? That day isn't tomorrow, right? I'll, just as long as I get to it before I leave this earth, then I'll be good. And what we say is, well, I'm young. I'm in my 20s, so, so I just want to have a little bit of fun. I want to do what I want to do. I mean, I'll get to Jesus when, when, I get, when I get into my 30s and I settle down. And then you get in your 30s and you're like, oh, well, 30s is a new 20, right? That's, that's I mean, it's it, I, I have time. I have time. I have other things I want to I take care of. I got kids now and they're occupying my time. I, I'll get to it. I'll get to it when I'm 40. And then 40 rolls around and you're like, 40 is a new 30, right? Um, I got time. No, let, me just, let me just push it down the line a little more, a little more, a little more. And we keep pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off. And we're more focused on things that don't mean anything in our lives that are meaningless in the long run. And we're focused on that and we're ignoring our relationship with Jesus Christ because we think... I'll get to it. There's no deadline. There's no due date. There's no reason for me to be focused on that. I'm going to do what I want to do and focus on myself. Yeah, 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 I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Just let me take care of this first. Just, 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 just let me get through my 20s. Just let me get through school. Just let me get through kids. Just let me get through my career. And now you're retired, and maybe you have grandkids. Just, just let me focus on my grandkids. And we always push it down the line because there's no due date, there's no deadline that we are aware of. We think when things slow down, that's when I'll really get right with God. And really, all that you are, it's one of the five foolish virgins who are not prepared. Maybe you have good intentions. Maybe you feel like you're ready, but you're not prepared. We haven't haven't done anything to actually get ready for Jesus besides saying that we're ready for Jesus. We're carrying around a lamp that says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and you've got no extra oil whatsoever. And eventually... That light is going to dim and dim and dim and flicker and fade because you aren't prepared. You don't actually have the oil to keep that fire going. You don't actually have have the heart, the passion in it to make sure that that lamp stays lit. We just wanna swing it around and say, hey, look, I'm a Christian. This is great, isn't this awesome? I showed up to church on a Sunday. Hey, look, I have a shirt that says I go to Impact Church. Hey, look, I have a shirt that says I can do this and this and that and that, whatever it is. And we think, I'm good because I showed up. Friends, it's great that you're here, but it doesn't mean that you are prepared. Doesn't mean it. I'm so glad that you're here. In the long run, what really matters is Monday through Saturday. This is great, but it's not all there is. And if you want to know if you're prepared, you got to look at your week. You got to look at every day. Not just showing up to church on a Sunday, singing a few songs, hearing somebody speak, and then going home and saying, oh, I did my good deed for the day. Cool. There's nothing special about that. There's no life change. There's no transformation. And your light is going out. Your lamp is about to fade. And there will be nothing left. The five foolish virgins, they weren't prepared. And they missed out on the celebration. They missed out. They were left outside. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but neither do you. All that I know is this. When somebody says he's coming back on this date, it will not be that date. That's all I know. Because the Bible says nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. So when someone says, hey, August 13th of 2025, that's when Jesus is coming back. I guarantee it won't be that day. So you can make other plans. But besides that, every other day is fair game. Every other day. I don't know when he's coming back. You don't know when he's coming back. And also beyond that, I don't know when I'm going to die. And you don't know when you're going to die. And that's not meant to be morbid, but it's reality. See, we have tried to to figure this out and tried to guess this over and over and over. But nobody knows. All of our expectation is that we're going to live this life and we're going to die in our old age. Peacefully in our bed at night. I don't know about all of our expectations, but most people, that's the way we think we're going to go. I'm 32. I'm not planning on dying. But I don't know when it will be. Neither do you. None of us do. And we don't know when Jesus is coming back. And so, since we don't know when Jesus is coming back, and since we don't know when our life will end, we need to ask ourselves Am I prepared? what have I done to be prepared, to make sure that I'm ready? It's great that you're here. It doesn't mean you're prepared. I can't stress this enough. And this is what Jesus is talking about because the five foolish virgins were left outside in the cele- of the celebration. And when we go back to what, Matthew, to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, this is what Jesus says, not everyone Who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. If this doesn't scare you a little bit, and my goal is not to scare you into heaven. But this is something that we should all think about. This doesn't cause us to pause and slow down. Because what what Jesus is saying here is that people who think they're good are not. That's what he's communicating. People who think, yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I'm going to go to heaven. Some people who think that will not go. That should be a wake-up call to us. That, that should be something that we are aware of, that, that, that we think about. This should be something that we slow down and say, wow. And I'm, I'm also, I don't know everybody in this room. I know, I know a lot of people, but I don't know everybody in this room. And I'm not naive enough to believe that everybody in this room is going to heaven. I'm not naive enough to think that. And neither should you. Because wide is a path to destruction, but narrow is the way to righteousness. I'm also not naive enough to think that every pastor who preaches the word of God is good. So this isn't just for you. This is for me. This is for me to think about. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone. So if that's the case, if we need to be prepared, if we, if we wanna be ready, have good intention, be prepared, all these things, and we don't know when the due date is, the question then for you is this, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? This, this is it. This is it, friends, and what are you waiting for? There's nothing better, nothing greater, nothing more important than this, nothing. Not your job, not your friends, not your relationships, nothing, nothing is more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. And because we don't know the day where we're going to go home, because we don't know that day, then you better be prepared. What are you waiting for? The the five foolish virgins were not ready, and they were just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And when the time actually came, all of a sudden, they were left outside. Don't be left outside because the love of Jesus Christ changes lives, transforms lives, changes everything about this world, gives us opportunity, gives us hope. And because of that, what are you waiting for? There is nothing greater. I promise you that this world cannot give you anything greater than the love and the relationship that Jesus Christ offers. I promise you that. Don't wait. Don't push it down the line. Don't keep saying, oh, eventually I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Now, today, and I don't care if you've been a Christian your entire life, I don't care if you became a Christian a month ago, I don't care if you don't even call yourself a Christian now. The question now is, what are you doing from this point forward? Where are you going? How are you handling this? What are you waiting for? That's the question for you today. We cannot take this lightly. Because I've been a Christian for my whole life, as long as I can remember. I was raised in a Christian home. So it's easy for me to sit there and say, yeah, I know, I've done it, I'm good, yeah, whatever, I get it. If that's you, wake up, wake up. We need to get our heads on straight and say daily, I want to pursue Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be prepared. Pick up your cross daily and follow him. Not once when you were a kid, And then you're covered for the rest of your life. Because the Bible also says faith without works is dead. So just because you got faith, great. If you don't follow it up with works, your faith will go away. Promise you. Guaranteed. But just because we've got a due date in our mind of when our life is going to end, doesn't mean it's accurate. There is a due date. There is a deadline. You just don't know it. A month ago, uh, we have, Lauren gave birth to uh, our, our son, Russell. He's seven weeks old. And um, his, he was born on uh, September 2nd. It's really exciting, right? And I don't know if you know this, but when, when someone becomes pregnant, they're given a due date. And you know when that date is, and that's when you expect the, the baby to come. So for, for us, the, our due date, Lauren's due date, was September 23rd. So I was like, okay, so the baby will be born about September 23rd. So um, me, being the person that I am, with the permission of my wife, um, at, at City on a Hill, we do a, a softball trip every year on Labor Day weekend. And, uh, and I talked to Lauren. I was like, what do you think? It's three weeks before the due date. She was like, "Yeah, I think it'll be fine." I was like, "Yeah, it'll be fine." So I'm in Cincinnati, and uh, and and Lauren I talked to her as a, a Sunday. It's about two o'clock, and I FaceTime with Lauren and our daughter Camden, and uh, and I was just catching up with them. And I said, "Okay, I'm about to go and lead a devotional with our softball team, so I'll talk to you later tonight." She said, "Okay, great, no problem." So I go in and I'm leading this devotional, and I'm like. I'm in it, you know, like I'm, I'm preaching now and I'm, I'm, I'm nailing this, I'm, I'm bringing it home. And then all of a sudden my phone is on the table and it rings and I see that it's Lauren as I'm giving this devotional. And I go, she know." I just talked to her. I told her I'm leading a devotional. Mute, muted it. <laughs> I see a, a, a woman who was our backup plan because I'm on a softball trip, so I may be playing softball if anything were to happen, so... She Lauren knew to call this person if if we need if she needed anything, if I don't answer. And so I see her stand up in the middle of my devotional, her phone rings, and she walks out. And I'm like, what is she doing? I'm still not still not clicking. I'm not I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So it's like, she walks out, I'm like, what? And then she walks back in and uh, and she says, and someone else says, Is the baby coming? And I'm like, Aah! and I turn and she says, Your wife's water just broke. Now I'm in Cincinnati. She's here. And so I'm scrambling. I'm like, what am I going to do? I I felt awful. I'm running around, grabbing stuff. The whole softball team gets together and they're finding flights because I didn't have a flight that day. I had a flight on Tuesday. And so we had to find different ones. And and so I'm rushing to the airport, which is an hour and a half away, Columbus Airport. And they had a flight at 4.50. We leave the hotel by 2.30. 2.30. And if I get on this flight, it gets me home by 6 o'clock. So I, it's like a movie. I'm riding in the car. my friend's driving me. And we're booking it down the highway in Ohio. And I'm on the phone with Southwest. And I'm like, my wife's water just broke. I need you to get me home. And he's like, all right, we're going to figure this out. He's all this, we're, we're, I'm scrambling. We're, my heart's racing. And uh, I talked to our softball team. I texted them as we're driving. I said, please pray that there's no traffic and that there's no security. That there's no line at security. Not that there's no security. We need security. (laughs) That there's no line at security. Sure enough, no traffic. I show up at the airport. I don't even bring any of my luggage. I leave it all in the car. All I had was my phone and a charger to take pictures. I'm like, I'm getting home. Get in the airport. I promise you, there was not a single person in the line at security. They were all just waiting for me. When does that happen? I walk up, and I was just like, hey. They're like, come on through. Go through. I made it to the airport by 4.05. The flight leaves at 4.50. I get to the gate as they're boarding. I hop on the plane. We made it home by 5.45. Pretty impressive. I got the phone call at 2.15 that my wife's water just broke in Ohio, and I'm back home. I made it to the hospital by 6.30 before Russell was born. He was born actually the next day. So I did all that for nothing. Just kidding. (laughs) was born the next day but I made it I tell you that story to tell you this I had a due date it was September 23rd but that wasn't the due date that wasn't the deadline the deadline was September 2nd I wasn't ready I wasn't prepared now God is still good and helped me make it home in time But in our lives, we don't know when the deadline is. We don't know when the due date is. Just because you have an idea does not mean that's it. So what are you waiting for? There's nothing greater, nothing more important, nothing that you should be more focused on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years or two days. Doesn't matter. Get right now. Today. I promise you, it will be worth it. Let's stand together and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just give you Everything that we are, all that we are, all that we have. God, help us to get rid of the distractions. Help us to get rid of the garbage in our lives that are meaningless. And Father, help us to remain focused on you. The greatest privilege we have in this world is to know you more. So God, we don't know when you're coming back. We don't know when our lives are going to end. But we want to make sure that we are like the wise virgins, that we're prepared, that we're ready, that we have the right intentions, that we're doing everything that we can to be ready for you to come and to welcome you and to celebrate with you. Help us, oh Father to not be slowed down by the things of this world. Thank you, God, that you care about us, that you created a way and an avenue for us to experience life and life everlasting. We love you with all that we are, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said.